The reading this evening is from John chapter 4, which can be found on page 1067 of the Church Bibles. John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we worshipped, is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak this to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you've been at St Mary's for five or six years, and probably if you've been a Christian for many years, you will know this passage very well. If you've been here, it's been preached on by Clive, by Nick Weir, by Chris Keane, and by Caroline at the Women's Weekend Away. So I expect you've got your ideas of your favourite bits of this story, and you know it very well. So my apologies if what I say this evening doesn't hit hit your particular favourite insights in the story. But what I think matters tonight Not that we enjoy a good story, but that we hear Jesus speaking to us, and do we believe what he says? So let me pray for us that we will. Lord Jesus, you know us well, each person here, better than we know ourselves. So please speak to us through your word, through the story of the woman at the well. Amen. 
Now, before we look at this passage, let me start with a question. Are you ready for this? Here goes. How does your typical day begin? Does the alarm wake you? Your husband bring you a cup of tea in bed. Your mum shouts out, you're going to miss the bus. Whatever it is, eventually you get up. It's a new day. What are you thinking as you wipe the sleep from your eyes and peer at yourself in the mirror? Hello, beautiful? Or, oh dear, a bit of work to do here. Maybe you take a while to wake up. But how do you prepare for the day ahead? What would make it a good day? Your hair washed and perfectly beautiful. You weigh yourself and you've lost a bit of weight. What makes your life good? Do you ever think to yourself, what's the best thing that might happen today? What am I really looking forward to? What makes me feel significant? What makes me feel loved, secure? What is it that really satisfies me? What am I living for? Maybe you're not that profound first thing in the morning. But as a follower and friend of Jesus, you might like to start the day reading the Bible and talking to the Lord about your day. Isn't it great when a simple truth from the Bible just comes alive and you know that Jesus loves you and wants you to do really well. He wants you to have a great day and to flourish But if you haven't experienced that, then let me show you from this story that that's what we're here for. That's why we are made. Jesus wants to fill the void deep in our souls. It's the reason he's put us on this earth. Well, our story starts in uh, a well just just near that place, Sychar, which is on the way from Jerusalem to Galilee, Judea to Galilee on that road. There's a little well just there. And it's still there. You can go and visit it if you want. It uh, doesn't look very much, does it? The, uh, the trouble is they've built a monastery over it, which is what they tend to do in the Holy Land. Anything that was in the Bible, they build on it. And it now looks a bit like that which doesn't help us very much when we're looking at our story. That, doesn't re- that isn't what it was, would have been like in Jesus' time. So maybe this is a bit more helpful. It would have been in the open. It's a deep well that draws water from the foot of this mountain, Mount Gerizim. But you need a bucket with a long rope because it's over 100 feet down before you get to the good, clean spring water at the bottom. So Jesus is tired after a long journey and he sits down for a midday snooze by this well. And a local woman comes along to draw some water from the well with her water jug. It appears that there was no bucket left at the well, so you'd have to bring your own water jug and tie it to the rope that was there to draw up some water. So Jesus, who has no jug, asks the woman for a drink of water. Nothing much strange in that, you might think. But the woman's reaction shows that this was far from ordinary. She was astonished. Why? Because the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get on. In fact, they hated each other. 
there was a history that divided them. The Samaritans came into being when some Israelites married the local pagan tribes, which God had forbidden them from doing because of what would happen. And it did happen. They mixed the pure teaching of the Bible with pagan rites and in effect made up their own religion. For example, they taught that Jerusalem was not the centre of God's plans, but the original and the best place to worship God was on their mountain, Mount Gerizim, which is just where Jesus was by this well. Now the pious Jews quite rightly rejected this made-up religion. But they went too far. They completely shunned the Samaritans. They'd have nothing to do with them. They would cross the road to avoid them. They wouldn't touch their dinner plates or cooking pots. Any food that Samaritans had touched was considered unclean. And that's why Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. He showed them just how wrong they were in their attitude towards the Samaritans. He cast the Samaritan as the hero and the pious Jews as the baddies. But that's another story and the woman hasn't heard it anyway. So not surprisingly, the woman was astonished that Jesus, a Jew, would want her, a Samaritan woman, to offer him a drink from a Samaritan water jug. It was unheard of. What was going on? Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? But Jesus says that she's missed the bigger surprise here. What is astonishing is not that a Jew is asking a Samaritan woman for a drink. It is that Almighty God, the creator of the universe, who made everything, including life itself, and invented water with its chemical formula, H2O, is sitting here beside you and asking you for a drink. Now surely that's crazy. You should be asking me for something and I would give you living water. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So where have we got to with the drinks orders? Who is thirsty at this point? Well, Jesus still wants a drink of water. But do you see the woman is thirsty too? Jesus says she should be asking him for some living water. But I love the way she responds. She doesn't really know what Jesus is talking about. What could he possibly mean by living water? But rather than saying, what? She seeks clarification. Here they are at an ancient biblical well, which our ancestor Jacob dug for us and which has given us good drinking water for hundreds of years. How can you do any better than that? Sir, the woman said, you've nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Or in other words, what on earth are you talking about? What is living water? Is there a better source of spring water that we don't know about? Well, I think that's a good approach, isn't it? When we hear something new, like eternal life or new birth or living water, and we 
don't really know what it means, why don't we just ask? How refreshing that she asks him what he means. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus isn't talking about drinking water at all. His gift is an overwhelming life, a vigorous, joyful fountain of life that springs up inside us and lasts forever and ever, and whoever drinks it will never be thirsty again. I wonder if you believe what Jesus said. You see, if this is true, how come we aren't packed out this evening with queues of people waiting outside, standing room only, with people desperate for this living water. What stops people finding it? Well, I can think of two things that stop people enjoying the joyful, invigorating life that Jesus offers. Firstly, the church fails to tell people about it in a way that they can understand. And I'm guilty of that as a member of the church. But I don't think that's the main reason. The main reason that people don't hear about it is because they're deaf. You see, there's something that we do that stops us from realising that our souls are thirsty. We don't hear Jesus' words because we fill our emptiness with something that drowns out the quiet voice of our soul. Our soul is telling us, I'm restless. I was made for God and yet I'm living as though God doesn't exist. Now, when I earlier asked you what makes you happy, what gives you a satisfying life, what's the best way of starting the day, did you think of one of these things? Would it be a good day if you found that special person who loves you? Or is it a job? Are you looking for a job that you can... You can really fulfill yourself and know that you're doing your best. One that makes lots of money so that you can do all those things that money enables you to do. Perhaps it's finding satisfaction in a worthwhile career in caring for people. Or is it family life, being a good parent or grandparent? Or helping people in need, visiting people in hospital, visiting prisoners? raising money for the destitute and homeless. Whatever it is that you do or would like to do, whatever it is that makes you feel significant, whatever it is that would make you happy, do you see that it's almost always something outside of you? Something that you might have, you might achieve, you might find. Of course, it might never happen. Or you might know it only fleetingly. But somehow that doesn't stop our desire or drive which keeps us going and stops us from hearing the voice in our soul. Whether you're young or you're old, you can still kid yourself that the deep hunger in your soul is just a sign that you haven't quite got there. The next relationship, the next job, that pay rise, the next drink, the lottery ticket, that'll be the one. It's probably just around the next corner. 
But as so many celebrities will tell you, success, fame, sex, riches, accomplishment, all leave them feeling that there must be more to life than this. Well, let me return to the woman at the well. How does she respond to the amazing offer that Jesus has told her about? What does she do with the thirst in her soul? Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Well, she doesn't quite ask the right thing, does she? Because although she does ask for living water, she's still thinking about avoiding this long trip to the well. Perhaps she's had too many disappointments in her life to fully take in what Jesus is saying. Some people think she's just being sarcastic. And it's quite likely with her life history that she would be cynical. She might feel that she's a hopeless case. But do you see that she does the right thing? She asks Jesus for this water. And her life is changed forever. You know, none of us know quite what to say when we ask Jesus for eternal life. But when we do, our lives are changed forever. We don't really know how to pray, do we? But we know that we need to do something. We know that we've somehow made a mess of our lives. And so we ask Jesus for help. Lord, please give me eternal life. Please, please give me this living water. Well, whether this woman was being cynical or, or just didn't really understand, I'm sure she wasn't prepared for what Jesus said next. You might expect that Jesus would now correct her understanding or correct her cynicism and explain exactly what living water is. But he seems to completely ignore this and changes the subject. Why does Jesus say, go call your husband and come back? The conversation suddenly got personal. It's been difficult enough talking with a Jewish man about water, living water. But you know, there was something in his words that attracted her. There was this voice deep within her that said, Yes, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. But now Jesus is asking about her relationships. She's currently living with a man outside of marriage, and that's embarrassing enough to talk about under Samaritan social rules, yet alone with a Jew, with the Jewish laws. Jesus has touched on a sensitive matter, and she manages just four words in reply. I have no husband. Now maybe she hoped that would end this line of questioning and perhaps this Jewish man would go back to talking about living water, more about eternal life that springs up deep inside you. But if that's the case, she'd be disappointed. Now Jesus now goes right to the heart of her problem. We don't really know what her circumstances were, but I can't believe that she'd been widowed five times or she was a serial murderer or something. Surely Jesus would be a little bit more sensitive or say something different if that was the case. No, it seems she'd had a string of failed relationships. Marriages ending in divorce. And she's now living with a partner outside of marriage. And Jesus knows all about her. 
Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Notice that Jesus speaks the truth, and it's only in facing the truth that this woman will find help. John's Gospel says a lot about truth. Jesus calls himself the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now Jesus, the truth, confronts this woman with the truth of her life. It's not just that you have no husband. That's a half-truth. Now what does she say? Well, she's shaken. How can this man who's just passing through know my life story? Is he a prophet? A messenger from God? He says he can help me. Can he really sort out a life like mine? Where would I start? I wouldn't know how to approach God with a history of failure like my life. How would I get right with God? Do I have to go to the temple? Or will he say I have to go all the way to Jerusalem to worship God? Well, maybe she didn't have enough time to think through all of those things and she just came up with the standard religious argument to stop him saying more about her relationships with men. But somehow I think she probably was thinking some of those things. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Well, by now I expect she's, she's probably thinking there's going to be another surprise trick answer. Something that she, you know, not the kind of answer that she was hoping for. And she'd be right. This time Jesus answers her question in full. Maybe it's because she's getting better with her questions. He starts with some great news for someone like her who would be uncomfortable going to the temple. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jesus tells her some groundbreaking news and she gets to hear it first. He hasn't really told the disciples, he hasn't told the Jews. Jesus reveals an amazing new thing to a Samaritan woman. The time is coming when you won't need to go to the temple to be made clean. The old system of forgiveness and cleansing through ceremony and ritual is ending soon. You will worship the Father somewhere else. And then Jesus confirms her fears about the Samaritan religion. Yes, as you suspected, it doesn't work. It's man-made, it's not God's way. The great rescue that everyone needs is a Jewish rescue. It's the unchanging story of God for mankind. It's the story of the Bible. Salvation will come through the Jews. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is the Jew who's just about to bring in a new age. The time has come with him. Within a few years, he will show that the old temple system of animal sacrifice was only a picture of his own sacrifice. 
with which he would defeat the power of sin over us forever and ever and offer everlasting life. And he tells us, tells her a little bit about what it'll look like. God the Father wants true worship. In spirit, because God is spirit, and in truth, because that's what God demands. No more made-up religion. No more hiding from the truth. Jesus is the truth. And through him, God will communicate directly with true worshippers. Verse 23, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Maybe at this point the woman begins to know what it means to have living water welling up inside her. She must have just heard the clearest teaching of her life. She was the first to hear this, and it makes her feel somehow more alive. So she says, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Actually, what he says is, he says, I am. He uses God's name, Yahweh, the great I am, the great God of the Old Testament. Here's a Samaritan woman talking with the Messiah himself. God come down to earth. Well, what a day it's been for her. She kind of expected that in the morning when she got up. She sneaks out in the middle of the day, quietly and discreetly, to avoid being seen, and ends up meeting the Messiah. What a lunchtime chat. Well, how do we apply this to ourselves today? What does this mean for us? Well, it's a bit of a contrast from last week's talk. Just skip back a page in your Bibles to John 3, verse 1, that we looked at last week, where we heard about Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a good, devout, religious Jew. He was one of their leaders. He was on the ruling council. And he'd sneaked out at night to avoid people seeing him speaking with Jesus. And what surprise did Jesus have for him? Well, in verse 3, he tells Nicodemus that he must be born again. And in verse 5, he adds to that and says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. Just like the Samaritan woman with an unfaithful history, this God-fearing, respectable man, one that people would have been looking up to, needs some water. He needs to be cleansed from his sin. And he needs God's Spirit so he can talk with God, who is Spirit. To the woman, an outcast, who can't find satisfaction in her relationships, Jesus offers living water. To the Jew, a respectable man who is self-satisfied, Jesus says you have to start again. You have to be born again. It's the same for us. If we're respectable, successful people, Jesus says we must be born again. Maybe we have significant history. Maybe we have significant failures in our lives. In which case Jesus says, 
we need to be cleansed. We need to have the gaping void in our soul filled. We need living water. There is no difference, really. We all need Jesus. But you might say to me, hang on a minute, I've led a good life. I've not robbed or knowingly hurt people. Don't say that I'm like this woman. Well, let me explain to you why I think we all need the same thing. No matter how we've lived, the problem is simple. We've all turned our backs on God. Let me quote Tim Keller, who says that this story of Nicodemus and the woman in John shows us two ways that we ignore God. Firstly, the woman. One way we ignore God is to break all the rules in your pursuit of pleasure and happiness, like the woman at the well. And this makes sex or money or power into a kind of salvation. We try and do things in order to fulfill ourselves. We kind of want to make it ourselves through breaking all the rules. But then there's the other way, Nicodemus, the religious way, to be your own saviour or Lord, to act as if your good life and moral achievements will essentially require God to bless you and answer your prayers any way you want. You think your moral goodness and efforts will give you the significance and security that non-religious people look for in sex, money and power. And God says that both ways of ignoring God, the religious and the rule breaker, have the same consequences. Both require Jesus to fix the problem. Both need someone who can forgive us for abandoning God's way and God himself. Now maybe you don't see yourself either as this woman or Nicodemus. Perhaps you'd say, I'm not religious, but I lead a good life. There may be a God, I don't really know. I'm not sure, but I don't harm anyone. I'm mostly good, and that's all that matters, isn't it? But it sounds a bit like a reasonable argument, doesn't it? Well, no, it isn't. So let me close with a story that you may have heard before, but I think it's the best story to, to give to someone who thinks that leading a good life is all you need to do. Imagine there's a poor widow who raises her son. She can't afford luxuries, but she encourages him to get the best education and supports him through college and university, a great sacrifice to herself. She says to her son, I want you to live a good life, to work hard, always tell the truth and care for the poor. Well, the son graduates. He gets a good career and goes off. And he never speaks to his mother again. He never even phones. 
he never visits home. He might send her a birthday card, if he remembers. Now, if you were to ask that man about his relationship with his mother, he says, no, I don't have anything to do with her, but I still lead a good life, I work hard, I always tell the truth and care for the poor. That's all that matters, isn't it? Well, I doubt you'd be satisfied with that answer. What kind of a son is that? And if there is a God, then we owe him far more than just living a morally good life. Well, the woman at the well has never had such a life-changing conversation. Someone who knew all about her past failures, but didn't talk down to her. Someone who cared enough to listen and who offers her eternal life. And what a difference one encounter with Jesus makes. If you read the next few verses, you'll see that she is transformed. No longer hiding herself away, but facing up to her past, she invites the whole town to meet Jesus. And many people become believers. And they find for themselves that Jesus' living water meets the deepest needs of their souls. She seemed to get it straight away. I think Nicodemus took a little bit longer before he, he got the message from Jesus. And sometimes we take a long time. But let me pray for us now as we close that we will learn from this message of the Samaritan woman. Thank you, Lord, for the conversation you had with this Samaritan woman. We are so grateful that even though you know all about us, you know what's in our hearts, you know what drives us, you know what we do to fill the emptiness in our souls, but you still love us and you offer us living water. Dear Lord, we have no excuse for ignoring you. Forgive us that we live without you so much of our time. Please would you fill our souls with living water that overflows with joy, never runs out and never leaves us needing any more. Please don't let us settle for anything less. Lord, we ask you these things now because there is nowhere else that we can go for them. Only you have the words of eternal life. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.